welcome, friends, to the True Myth Media Podcast, discussion on film from a Christian millennial perspective. I'm your host, Michael McDonald. And I'm Seth Steele. And today we have a special deep discussion of the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Uh, Sunday was my birthday, and my my mom actually birthday, had the idea. Again. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> my mom actually had the idea, and my dad offered to take me to see 2001 Space Odyssey because it's the is it the 50th, 50th anniversary? year yeah 50th anniversary of it and so they've done a new transfer of the movie and uh actually have been releasing it in select theaters around the country in IMAX mm-hmm. and uh this up until recently 2001 a Space Odyssey was in my top five films yeah uh, so I, of course, jumped at the chance and I was like, Hey dad, do you mind if I invite like Seth and Chad? <laughs> and, um, before you know it, my friend Lucas is coming, your dad and your, your <laughs> brother, brother came, yep. like my, uh, my dad's brother came. Yeah. It turned into a whole outing. We were all excited for this. Yeah, movie. it was great. It, it was, it was fantastic. Uh, so yeah, like first off, what a great experience yeah. seeing it in the theater with a bunch of, with people who are respectful. <laughs> With, with every every like you everybody have, there is a cinephile you know that nobody's coming to see a four, a 50 year old movie and like paying 16 dollars to go see it in imax if they're like just gonna talk through the whole thing or like pull out their phone or yep. whatever like these are people that are invested and it's going to be a great movie watching experience uh it was the especially the sound yeah i thought like the sound when you can feel it reverberating in you yeah I think, like, well, just especially with shot, just when you hear also Sprock Zarathustra, and it's just the two planets or the sun coming over the moon or the Earth coming over the sun or whatever. Just that scene gave me chills right away, honestly, because I was like, Like, "We are here! It's so great! It's so beautiful!" Yeah, it's but like the power of it is like you can feel it. It's kind of like in Dunkirk. Mm -hmm. I could feel that in the IMAX as well. Um. Especially today where a lot of times, like, I mean, I walk around in my everyday life with headphones, like, dangling from either around my neck or in my ears. And that's how I I consume most uh, of my audio media. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, sure, you can hear it fine, but you kind of lose the fact that sound is a real physical vibration. Mm -hmm. And... Man, when you're in a theater that is pumping it out, you don't forget yeah. that sound is like a force. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh it's it was fantastic hearing it, seeing it so large, like there were like details that I could pick out that I couldn't pick out before because mm-hmm. I'd never seen it on such a large screen. Yeah. Where, um it was absolutely fantastic. I can't recommend highly enough. If you live anywhere near an IMAX that has this movie showing, mm-hmm. uh, take a chance to go see it. Um, it's totally worth the money. Yeah, I think it's only for a short run. So, yeah. I mean, it's probably only a couple of weeks after this episode comes out, I think. so. Right, and especially because we're not like probably – we're for sure not in like the first market no. to get the no, movie. No, I, I know it came out a while ago yeah. actually. I think, I think it's been touring all summer actually yeah. from what I heard. So, so uh, you know – Take some time to look up when it might be near you. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. So 
we already talked a brief moment about the opening. We're kind of going to just walk through the whole film and how we felt about it. Yeah. Um, actually, before we talk about the opening, yeah, can we talk? Let's talk about how our experiences with the film previous. Okay. I know I'd seen it a lot more than you have. Yeah, I think I, I think this was my third time. I this was either my third Great. time or my fourth time. But uh, I think I saw it once when I was a young kid, like with my dad, and like I remember all of us sitting in the basement watching yep. this movie on a small tube TV, and like, hey, if it's what you got, yeah, and like being confused and like looking over and seeing my brother falling asleep, like during the uh, oh. into infinite infinity part, and then... I'm not gonna pretend I have not fallen asleep in this movie before, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And then I think the second time was in uh, college, and I swear there's one other time in between there. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it. So, I mean, it kind of felt very new to me going in again. Um, for you, I'm sure it's a little bit different. Yeah, because I I don't remember what age I saw this movie at. Yeah. Um, I watched it with my dad. Yeah. And it's kind of like in that weird generic pool of – all the movies that I watched with my dad, I might have watched them with him when I was four. I might have watched it with him when I was 16. Yeah. I don't know. They <laughs> yeah. all blend together. Yeah. Um, but I've seen it multiple times with him mm-hmm. just at home. Uh, I've watched it multiple times on my own. And this movie, along with the star, along with Star Trek, um, for some reason has a really strong nostalgic like me and my dad feel about oh, it. Yeah, that's all. I can actually really see that actually because I get the same thing with the Matrix. Strangely enough, so yeah. yeah, yeah. For for some reason, these are these are two. Those are two things that I'm just like. Even if I'm not watching it with him, Ben Hur's another one. Okay, yeah. Even if I'm not watching it with him, I feel like texting him if I'm watching. Yeah. Uh, and definitely had many times where I was confused as a kid. I actually read the book. Okay. Um, the Arthur C. Clarke book. Yep. And, uh, which is very different. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just a movie that I grew to love over time, even though I still don't understand it. Yeah. Okay. Which is one of the most striking features of the film is yeah. it's a film that does not explain itself to you. Yeah. I th- Well, I think it's understandable in a way, if you think about it for a long time, but it, it it leaves it open to interpretation. Like, yeah. that's where I'm getting at. Like, you know, you can understand what Kubrick was trying to do. but in And the you end, can understand most of the plot, like what's going on. Like, yeah. I, we, we're going to talk about this, yeah. like exactly what happens. And it's yeah. very obvious what's happening. But as far as like what themes and what, like what exactly Kubrick's trying to say. It's hard. It's hard to say. Yeah, it is up to interpretation. And I think that that's part of how he intends it is for you to more experience it mm-hmm. and feel it than understand it. Yeah. yeah. So the openings, like after the titles, yeah. where we see like this grandiose, uh, the sunrise over a planet. Mm. Um, we open on a desert. Um, the title comes up, The Dawn of Man, and it is, uh, we see, like, we see this group of monkeys, um, or ape-like creatures. They're a little more advanced than, like, 
you can tell that they've got a little more going on than just monkeys do, but pretty Well, close. I wouldn't even say that yet. I would say once the monolith comes down, that's when they start to develop a little bit more uh, characteristics. Because isn't that, like, pretty much they're they're fighting up with the other tribe and stuff like that, and they keep getting shut down, and they keep getting shut down. Yeah, they, they, they're fighting over water. Yeah. Um, and cause they're all starving to death mm-hmm. and cause you know, it's, it's pretty much a desolate wasteland at this point. Right. And then one night, a large black slab, it looks like of stone. Yeah. It's just a rectangle, but it's really an interesting effect too, because like the way the surface reacts to light is different than mm-hmm. anything else around it. Mm-hmm. So it feels very, especially with how like perfect the angles are and everything. Mm-hmm. It just feels otherworldly, alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one monkey tribe kind of gathers around it, and there's all this crazy music going on, and mm-hmm. it's just like, and they're all freaking out, and then it stops like yeah. one of the weird things about this movie is the way that the sound just like cuts, cuts out. out yeah um and we go to another day where one of the monkeys is like looking at this pile of bones of an animal and he hits it he like realizes that when he hits it with one of the larger leg bones he can basically produce more force yeah and then they go to the watering hole and they kill a monkey yeah (laughs) and the rest of that monkey tribe runs away yeah and it is like this moment of the first tool yeah the first weapon Mm -hmm. um it's now okay i i feel like this is kubrick here he's he's just trying to say like this is the first step in evolution and that's pretty much what that's why i kind of think that the monolith is almost like a representation of evolution like a step towards evolution or like breaching the the gap to the next step kind of thing see yeah and like but and this i think this is where kubrick is so he's so coy yeah (laughs) because you can almost put anything in for the monolith yeah, an like idea. The monolith, the monolith could be aliens that are, like, influencing our genome. Mm-hmm. They could be, like, mentally, uh, you know, just preparing our minds or organizing it in yeah. order to create pattern recognition so that we can do all these things. Uh, it might be God. Mm-hmm. It, it, there, there's so many things that you can put in that place. Actually, it's really interesting. Kubrick originally wanted the um the monolith to be mirrored he wanted it to be all mirrors but they couldn't shoot it yeah it was like impossible to shoot so that's why they went with the black slab um and i don't know i think that would be really interesting knowing that that was like his original intention is kind of like an interesting idea um watch like what it would be like seeing all those like monkeys looking into their own reflections yeah and evolving yeah but um yeah. Also, I really loved, like, my dad before we went in. He's like telling everybody about, like, you, know, you gotta remember in the, in the day that this was made. You know, there were. Uh, this is like before the moon landing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. that. That's the technology level we're at. Yeah. Uh, and which is phenomenal. Like that, this movie looks the way that it does mm. when it was made that early. But, um, 
you know, talking about all the all the all that kind of stuff. Uh, Planet of the Apes, I think, was in the theater at the time. And it's like if you compare these apes to the apes in Planet of the yeah, Apes, it and is you're crazy. like, these apes are so much better. Yeah, they're they a, look like real apes. They're a million <laughs> yeah. times better. Yeah, uh, and it's because he uh, one he doesn't need them to talk. Yeah, but two uh, he went out and got actual um, like dancers and mimes oh okay to play the apes oh that makes sense actually because they move very fluidly it, yeah like great. you almost like you can tell that they're in costumes but you almost forget sometimes too. you do so, for, i because I, it's almost 20 minutes like it's, it might be yeah, more it's, than 20 it's like minutes. 20 minutes yeah. of the film yeah the first half like yeah it's it's before we get to the first space thing there's no talking for the first 20 minutes of the film it's just watching apes yeah until one ape throws a bone into the sky yep and it twirls around and then we get one of the most famous match cuts in history yep uh from the bone to a satellite in space yep uh and it feels like a I know, like, we were talking before we recorded that, like, it is classically understood that yeah. Kubrick is making the connection that, like... <laughs> the first tool to this is still our tool kind of thing. Yeah, like, that all of this has spawned from that. Yeah. And for some reason, seeing it this time, it landed on me so much harder than ever before. You know, it did like, for me, too. how connected... Like that our screw like if you think of like what a screwdriver is and what a hammer is and mm-hmm. all the different kinds of tools we have, they're all really not that much more complicated than a simple lever. Mm-hmm. Like is simple mechanics being extrapolated thousands and thousands and thousands of times in different myriad ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as far as like our actual like the brain that is required to do one versus the other, there's not that much of a difference. Yeah. yeah. And you really feel that. Mm-hmm. And we get this, like, um, I love this sequence, actually. It's really cool to me seeing them do, like, zero gravity stuff. Yeah. Um, Like the waitress kind of walking around and, like, picking up the pen. And, and she has, like, like, Velcro that. shoes yeah. on. Yeah. And... Um, we see, we meet one of our, like our main character for the next several scenes, um, who is flying to a space station. Uh, he's flying, uh, Pan American because of course, uh, (laughs) cause of course that company existed. (laughs) Well, it's great. Like, I love the world building that he did, like Kubrick does though, because he takes the 1960s world and he goes, well, what would this look like in 40 years? And then. It makes sense for the most part. Like you think about it, like Kubrick probably thought that Pan America would still be around or whatever. Yeah, why? Like to, from his perspective, like and really, it does make sense. Or like it, IBM, or like or if you look at where company. we are now, yeah. um, the idea that flights to the moon or to satellites mm-hmm. would be commercial rather than you know governmental or military mm-hmm. isn't crazy yeah. i mean spacex is a privately owned or a, I mean, a publicly held company but it is a company yeah exactly uh not a w- branch of the government mm-hmm. and so like oddly prescient yeah yeah <laughs> in some we're ways. getting there it's not quite 2001 but eventually maybe yeah and uh he we we learn through uh a couple conversations he has on the space station on his way to the moon that that's where he's headed he's mm-hmm. headed to the moon because there is a station on the moon that uh is clouded in secrecy there's all these stories about um a uh quarantine because of a disease or something mm-hmm. and uh, 
but he's like the head research guy. He's the head of the team. And he knows that there actually is no like disease. There's no disease. He knows something's there, but he what has he, happened. He's not at he's not at liberty to say, to say yeah. <laughs> until he meets his team. And what is going on is on the moon, they've uncovered something that has been there for I can't remember if they four say hundreds years. of thousands or millions of years. They say okay, four, four million, million years. Yeah. So it's been there for four million years and as best, as best as they can tell, it didn't crash there. It was intentionally buried. Yeah. And uh we get some great space flight sequences. Yeah. Uh some of my favorite shots in the movie are actually from this when the um when the the pod is lowering uh, down oh, yeah. to the surface, and you see the five different rooms or whatever that are like all along the walls, and yeah, it's and also when you're down. looking up at it as the hatch opens, yeah, and you get one of those like it's not a, it's not quite a uh, like an aperture opening. It's a um, uh, what do you call it? Um, I can never remember what you call this. It's a different type of opening. Anyway, it's, it looks really cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it does. It, it looked awesome, especially on IMAX. Yeah. But, yeah. So then they go out to the site and we see for the first time that the object that they are all interested in is another of those black slabs. Yeah. The monolith. And they go up to it. They, you know, I think they touch it. Uh, they, yeah, the, the main guy pictures does, of, least, yeah, they yeah. take, they're, they're going to take some pictures and, um, and they're all in their spacesuits and a piercing high pitched, uh, what, what would you call it? tone? Yeah. Goes off and it is an uncomfortably long amount of time. <laughs> I actually thought it was like an alarm going off in the theater. Actually, when this happened, I was like, holy cow, this is loud. Cause it's so loud. Yeah, but, yeah. uh, and then the screen just cuts to black mm-hmm. and we enter into our second chapter of the movie, which is the Jupiter mission. Mm-hmm. And 18, and we jump to 18 months from this previous scene. And we are on this spaceship. Uh, there's, two people in there there's frank and there's dave mm-hmm. and there is a computer called hal yep and hal is part is this is one of a series of computers that has never made a mistake mm-hmm. um that's why it is like being included on this mission uh and dave doesn't know this like the two the dave and frank are the um they're the pilots mm-hmm and there's three other members of the crew that are in stasis and they're like the geological survey and everything that's going to Jupiter and they're the they're the more actual scientists. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to stay asleep until they get there, at which point Dave and Frank will presumably go to sleep or have other jobs to do. Um, Dave and Frank. Sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Well, they're when yeah. we open up, they're pretty much just kind of hanging out in uh, their hangar, like they're eating food. They're watching a newscast. Uh, they're going happened. for a run. Yeah, um, and they're just going about their lives. Yeah, it pretty much just gives exposition. It tells you that they're on their way to Jupiter, and that's pretty much what's happening. There's a lot of great world building again. Um, yeah. I love the scene when I think it's Frank that's running around in the circle. Yeah, uh, that's and great. it's just like literally, like because it's no gravity, he's literally just running upside down and then running straight forward. Amazing. Again. 
special effects. Yeah, it looks like, great. It's it's great because like in order to simulate gravity, they have these uh like circular parts of the ship mm-hmm. and so all there's no flat surfaces really <laughs> yeah. like the floor is curved everywhere and so he can literally run a lap past the same like just on the like without changing direction he can just runs straight and run a lap yeah yeah <laughs> it's yeah it's great and uh that stuff is awesome the uh, special effects when they're outside working on the ship are mm-hmm. great. Uh, another another example of the usage of silence in this movie is uh, when you're outside, Kubrick keeps to what would actually sound like, which mm-hmm. is nothing because there's no air, so there's nothing to transfer the vibrations of sound. Which is Dave breathing a lot, too. Yeah, and even that is only in certain scenes. Mm-hmm. There are lots of scenes where we don't even hear Dave breathing. Mm-hmm. Um but basically what happens on the ship is uh, Hal has an apparent malfunction. Well, Hal says that something is going to malfunction in 72 hours and that they should take uh, preemptive measures to try and fix it. Which they do. But yep. when they communicate back to Earth, uh, which takes some time, yeah, they are told that they don't the, Hal 9, the Hal <laughs> system that they have back on Earth says it's not going to fail. Yeah. So that kind of scares them a little bit because they're like, well, if Hal is making mistakes, like this is the first manned mission to Jupiter. Mm-hmm. We can't – He he's integrated fully into all the systems of this ship. We can't risk him making a mistake on something more vital. Mm-hmm. We'll have to take him offline. Yeah. And they say this kind of in an enclosed pod. Um, yeah, they, they try. Sound they try and way. get away from Hal. Yeah, but uh, because Hal is everywhere, he still reads their lips while they're talking about doing this. Yeah, he can't hear them. Yeah, but they've neglected to make sure that there are no cameras that can see them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he reads their lips and realizes what they're doing, and he kills Frank. Yeah. Uh, by uh, like knocking him out into space. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he's on a repair mission. Mm-hmm. Dave gets in a pod and goes out to retrieve the body. Yep. And when he comes back, um, Hal won't open the doors mm-hmm. to the ship. So he's stuck outside and he goes to the airlock and does like one of my, again, another great sequence yeah. is Dave prepping for uh using the explosive bolts on the emergency exit door mm-hmm. of the pod to throw himself into the airlock and hopefully activate the airlock within about three seconds. Yeah. Because otherwise he'll die because yeah. he doesn't have a helmet. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> that idiot <laughs> didn't, didn't take on a helmet. helmet with him. He was trying to save his friend. His friend was flying around in space. I get it. He jumped in the pod. It's all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's actually that whole sequence, actually, when Hal kind of uh, he like quips Frank's uh, like oxygen and like yeah. sends him out into space. And then that scene when uh, Dave runs out to go get him, it's so intense it's, because it's, it's very silent for most of the time. It's just the breathing, but you see how far away Frank really is from Dave after just a couple of seconds. And you see Dave just trying to race away and like the ship behind you is getting smaller and finally he catches up with them and he just knows immediately that Dave or that Frank is already dead. Yeah. It's like, well, he probably he knows do. that all the way out there. Yeah. He's just retrieving a body. Yeah. But and like 
what what also makes that s- sequence work really well, I think, is you don't see Hal kill Frank. No, it's off screen. Yeah, it's, what you see are the video feeds from Dave. Yeah, and da- and because of the place that Hal does it, you can't see the sh- you can't see what happens. You mm-hmm. just see like something swing in front of the camera, and like and then on another camera, Frank's body kind of flying off into nowhere, yep. and. I feel like that actually it builds a lot of tension. Yeah, because if you think about how easy it, it's one of those like we talk about in movies all the time where uh, if you like reserve what what the audience sees, mm-hmm. a lot of times the imagination fills in something worse. Yeah. Or the imagination just builds an emotion for it. Yeah. And I feel like that's what happens in the scene when you're watching it. Yeah. Um, when he comes back, though, I think, oh, man, when he comes back and he's just standing outside those uh, those pod bay doors, doors and the look, and the look in his face and um, then the cut back to hell and it's just the red eye and that's all you see. And it's just that cut back and forth. And it's just like, this is a showdown between the two greatest like epic movie villains of all time. <laughs> and then uh, Dave lets go of the body and Frank sails off into space. And one of my favorite shots of the whole movie is when the pod turns back around and it puts its arms up like it's going to yeah. get in a fight. And I was just like, yeah, put your dukes up. Let's go, Dave. <laughs> like I was almost ready to start cheering by the time he gets inside. And the next shot is just looking directly up like, yep, he made it inside. He has conquered Dave pretty much. See, and Hal just starts to talk to him like, oh, I don't think you should turn me off, man. Like, this is a bad idea. He's trying to preserve his own mortality at that point. Yeah, I think that also one of the interesting things thematically that the movie is doing, Yeah, um, seeing him letting go of Frank, yeah. like letting go of the past and things that you can't fit. Like, there's lots of imagery in this movie that is about survival. Oh, and, yeah. And life. Absolutely. And so, like, seeing that look of determination on his face and – um, in some ways, because like the movie is kind of setting up this idea of evolution and, you know, what's what's going to come next kind of thing. Yeah. The stuff that's coming next. I I've gotten this feeling through multiple viewings that this the end of this movie is almost like a showdown between two different forms of life. Yeah, I can it's see like, that too. It, it is What's going to sh- make it to the next evolutionary stage? Yeah, it's a showdown thing. between humanity in the form of Dave and humanity's creations in yeah. the form of Hal, the yeah. ultimate tool. Yeah. Uh, a tool that has never made a mistake. Yeah. And what will progress in the through the next evolutionary step? Mm-hmm. And it is survival of the fittest. Yeah. And the fact that Dave can conquer the computer means he will progress Mm -hmm. and thus humanity progress. Yep. And so we get to our next stage. Yes. (laughs) Because he disconnects Hal from the computer Mm -hmm. or from the ship. Mm -hmm. And then he gets in a pod. Well, he gets another message first. Oh, yeah. That's right. The embedded message. And I can't remember exactly what he says. And it's the first time that he's that he has because the hell 9000 computer has been disconnected there's an mm-hmm. emergency message that in the event that happens um it's basically or no it's because he gets to the outer part of jupiter, jupiter space yeah and it's basically for the first time explaining to them what their mission is mm-hmm. and 
it explains that the tone that we heard earlier on the moon that was so piercing and everything, that was actually a transmission from the monolith to Jupiter. Yep. And so Earth has sent this expedition to find out where was it transmitting to. Mm-hmm. And so we go to Jupiter and the infinite, (laughs) infinite and the beyond or whatever it is. Yeah. I think it's Jupiter and beyond or something like that, but our, or Jupiter and I can't remember. I know there's the infinite in there somewhere because I remembered that, but yeah. To infinity and beyond. Yeah, exactly. There you go. That's all you need. Kind of idea. (laughs) So, um, so they head off or he heads off in the pod, I believe. And that's our last line of dialogue too, actually, I think. Yeah. I don't think we really see much of that like because now we cut to a lot of celestial um movement around jupiter with Mm -hmm. its moons like lining up and Mm -hmm. there's a monolith that comes in and then the camera just kind of tilts upward and pushes forward and space kind of rips asunder slips (laughs) yeah and all these psychedelic lights start going and you see that dave is in the pod and is like you see his face yeah um and that this is not a not a gentle journey um (laughs) that's putting it lightly he's being put through uh his paces and uh just lots of really at the time experimental photographic techniques Mm -hmm. were being were being employed here like coloring the negative space uh coloring the negative and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff um i can't imagine some of the the psychedelic color sequences, the lights, like the animator, yeah. the ant, because they didn't have computer graphics back then. No, so it would have to have been hand drawn. Yeah, I have no idea how they did it. And there were other things too, where it was like, uh, the where it looked like the oil or whatever, where it was kind of like shifting oh, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that too. Like I have no idea how they did some of this stuff. I'm sure you you might know a little bit more than I do. Or... I don't know. How <laughs> okay, <that>. yeah. So... <laughs> but, but it's it's cool because it's also mirroring like the desert from earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dave eventually arrives in his pod in a room. Yep. Where he sees kind of him, an older version of himself. Yeah. And, and but, this is a really weird sequence because he will see himself somewhere, look at him and they'll like lock eyes for a second or something. Yeah. And then we'll cut to that other Dave's perspective and he'll look back at, the Dave we were just with. Yeah. And he won't be there anymore. Yeah. And so like Dave is in this house, like room or series of rooms growing older. Yeah. And then he's on his deathbed and the monolith rises up in front of him. And we see a space baby. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's representative of taking the next step in the evolutionary stage. Right. It is a, it is. So. And, and also like when you like, cause we see, then we go to earth and we see the baby in like approaching earth. It's very large. Yeah. And it's very clearly Dave. Like yeah. his, the face is similar enough. The that eyes you can are tell. very yeah. similar too. Um, and like, there's nothing to explain this to you. Like yeah. that's the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like is cut. Yeah, and it's just kind of open to interpretation. I think – now, okay, I guess you can go forward with your kind of interpretation no, first. Well, I guess the way that I always took it was uh, he is 
transcending, of course, uh, mm-hmm. when he goes through all the lights and stuff like that. And when he arrives at this room, uh, I'm going to use Interstellar as a <laughs> reference yeah. here because it's pretty similar. No, because Interstellar obviously draws on this Yeah, movie. exactly. Um, and I think they explain it a little bit more in Interstellar where he talks about, well, this might be... Wait, what? Christopher Nolan over-explains? <laughs> Explaining things? Yes. But, yeah, so it's pretty like my, much... The one thing I don't like about him is that he over-explains. Yes. Hey, you gotta you gotta let the dummies in on some of the secrets, too. Um, but, <laughs> but um, no, so he pretty much goes to a place where it's a 3D construction of a five-dimensional space. So mm-hmm. beyond what time would look like, uh, this is constructed so that our three-dimensional brains can perceive it, pretty much. And that's kind of the way that I looked at uh, 2001, where yeah. when he's in the, this room at the very end, it's just he is no longer bound by time. So time doesn't really work here. He's seeing himself as he's older, but he's also seeing himself as the same time or at the uh, when he's like the same mm-hmm. age. Uh, and then when he finally transcends that completely, he becomes the space baby. He's kind of reborn again uh, into a new evolutionary stage. At least that's the way that I took it. Yeah. So. And I think that like one of the one of the things that I pull out of it, uh, especially this time more than in the past, like I see and maybe it's because like this past year or so, like like religiously, I've yeah. kind of been under like starting to grasp certain things about like attachments and stuff. And I felt a little of that in this movie that like, it's almost like a pilgrimage to Jupiter for him. Yeah. Yeah. To be, to be reborn. And as he goes, he is slowly stripping away, Mm. even non-intentionally stripping away, uh, his attachments to his family, Mm -hmm. his attachment to Frank, Till the only thing that is driving him is his desire to live. Yeah. Yeah. And at that moment, he's able to completely leave behind even his technology and his pod. When he comes back to Earth, he doesn't come to Earth in a ship. No, no. He's he in comes a back as a naked child. Yeah. He in a space womb. Yeah. He doesn't <laughs> need the tool like going back to the apes at the beginning Mm -hmm. the moment of them evolving was the moment of realizing that they could use their environment around them to do things and this one it felt more like he was like the the tech the jump that's being made evolutionary evolutionarily is that we no longer need our environment to do things anymore yeah we can just do them yeah we've transcended this dimension almost kind yeah of too and so like moments like where he let frank go mm-hmm. like that's what i saw in yeah. that moment that's actually really cool. like the <laughs> the fact that he's like going through this like weird trans-dimensional gateway thing in the pod and not in the jupiter mm-hmm. the that's the name of the ship as well yeah um <clears throat> is symbolic of that too i think so like I don't know, but like at various times in my life, I've seen different things in it. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that it is such a rewatchable movie. Yeah. Especially once you know, like the first time watching it is actually the worst. Yes. And that that is very true. Like, I'm glad that I don't remember the first time I saw it because I don't remember not liking this movie. Yeah. But I'm sure I didn't the first time I saw it. Yeah. 
I remember being confused the first time I saw it, but I, I feel like this time it was quite an experience. I wonder if my dad like, was smart enough to just like fast forward to the parts that a kid would like, <laughs> you know, just because like, right, I we're going to skip the monkey parts because you're not going to get that. All no, right, no. He probably showed the... me the monkeys killing another monkey, but <laughs> yeah. I can see, I can see my dad doing that. Yeah. Like, but, uh, yeah, like on repeat viewings, you just see more and more mm-hmm. every time. Yeah. Um, the the one of the sequences that stood out the most to me that I appreciated more on the big screen than any other was the the moment of evolutionary jump for the apes yeah. where he's where he's like sitting there with his pile of bones and at first he just like touches one and he sees yeah. one of them kind of flip and then he like grabs one of them and he doesn't even like swing it from behind his head no he like just kind of like taps it a little bit and he sees something kind of flip over a little bit yeah. and then he hits it a little harder. And then like this, the thing that he's playing with is this skeleton of like a tip, a tapir mm-hmm. and uh, like a wild pig type thing. Mm-hmm. And when he is wailing on it, it cross cuts to an actual yeah. animal like falling in mm-hmm. a heap and when he smashes the skull bone and then it cuts to that animal falling and then it cuts to all of the apes in his community are all eating meat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just like, man, it. I just felt it in a different way. I don't know why it being larger gives it passage into your 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 being in a different way. Yeah. But it really does. Yeah. I, well, and this too, it's, this is a movie where it's very easy to get distracted if you're watching it on a small screen. Like True. there are a lot of scenes. Not having Facebook available, yeah. not yeah. being able to pull out <laughs> my phone, yeah, that's what I'm like made at. a huge difference. Yeah, exactly. Cause I mean, I love this movie, but there are scenes when it's five minutes of flying from one planet to another. And if I were sitting at home and I was hungry, I would probably get up and make food and not even think about pausing this movie. I would yeah. just be like, all right, I'm not going to miss anything. I'll be fine. I'll come yeah. back in a couple minutes. But yeah, seeing it up on the big screen, I was forced to just sit there and really appreciate how And it makes you think is. about what's going on so much yeah. more intensely. Yeah. Because there's nothing else to look at. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, would you recommend this movie? <laughs> <laughs> never uh n- no of course i would recommend this movie this movie's amazing one of the greatest <laughs> movies that's ever been made yes uh i will reiterate reiterate now at the end of the show try and find a way to see this on imax if you can if you can't find as high resolution version as you can f- yep. find whatever friend you have that has the best sound system the best projection system an 80k and tv or something like that just go over there and watch. get it. a bunch of friends together and all of you watch 2001 a space odyssey together uh it is an experience you will not ever forget yeah it's so i will say thank you dad thank you mom <laughs> thanks for... dad too you showed me 2001 <laughs> <laughs> and farewell Peace. The True Myth Media Podcast is produced under Commercial Commons License, copyright 2018. Theme music provided by Christopher Sloboda. <laughs>